Welcome to the Landco Podcast, an analytical behind-the-scenes look into land investing and land ownership, covering marketing conditions, current inventory, and updates on all relevant land ownership issues here in Illinois, mixed in with some timely hunting and fishing reports. Okay, welcome to the Landco Podcast. Uh, my name is John O'Reilly. I'm the host here with uh, Nate Herman. Nate has joined us on a few of the past ones, so if you want to like get the full bio, go to the, uh, I think it was the last episode or episode on defining late goals for the full bio, but Nate's been, we've been working together for 10 years or more, I don't know. 10 years. Yeah, 10 years exactly, 2007, yep. Uh, so he's the best of the best, um, so that's why he's here, he's an expert on this stuff, but I want to talk about removing fish today. So, you know, in this series of managing a managing a lake, this is one that I think maybe gets overlooked that may be the most important. And again, Nate knows more than I do. So we're going to have him kind of chat about it. But um, first of all, Nate, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Appreciate it. Well, thanks, John, for having me. I'm excited. I, lo I love talking about fish. <laughs> uh, I noticed. Um, so let's get right in. So um, removing fish, like why do people do it? Why is it important? Um, chat about that for a little bit. Well, historically, a lot of people remove fish because they like to eat fish. Uh, but there's a trend, you know, to managing bodies of water. And, you know, there's a lot, been a lot of articles written. And a lot of them are geared towards public bodies of water where they've introduced a new concept, let's say 30 to 40 years ago, of catch and release fishing. And that concept has taken off. People love it. It's a feel-good story. But And you can apply it to a lot of public bodies of water where there's a lot of people using the resource. But... In a private body of water, catch and release in many instances is actually a terrible detriment to the overall fishery and even perhaps your goal for the fishery. Yeah, and so that's why I wanted to do this because in, in, in a podcast here shortly, we'll talk about like inviting your friends and family fishing, but everyone who ever comes, we're actually at the Landco Lake right now at the Landco Lodge looking out at the lake. It made me think about it, but every time I invite people out or they ask if they can go, like like you say, the first thing they say is like, don't worry, man, it's catch and release only. And that's like ingrained into people's heads. So that's why I wanted to talk about it because it's just, it's not the case, right? It's just factually wrong. Correct. It's, it's factually wrong um, depending on your goal, you know, for certain species. So you want to grow big bass and everybody thinks, all right, if I'm supposed to stock 100 bass, but I want to grow big ones, so now I'm going to stock 200 bass. And that is actually completely contradicting yourself because more doesn't mean bigger. Okay. I want to, I want you to talk about that too, because, uh, and it was just recently, I say recently, it could have been the Otter Creek days when we got going into it. But before I met with you and Greg, I didn't fully, I didn't fully understand why I knew that you didn't want them to be overpopulated, but talk about like the, why that works. Like the, there's only a certain amount of food. There's only a certain amount of capacity in the lake. Well, now I might, I might be saying that wrong, but no, well, now you're hitting on another one, another topic that is near and dear to my heart, which is food. Right. Okay. <laughs> so John, you know, we're probably getting hungry, you know, it's time to get some lunch and today, you know, it's a Friday or, uh, close to a Friday and we're going to go get pizza. Yep. All right. Uh, we're going to go to the pizza shop. We're going to get one pizza. And it's just for you and me. We only ordered one pizza. That's all we had money for. You and me, we're going to eat it. We got plenty of pizza for us to have a nice lunch. Yep. Okay. You have a lot of friends. 
We have our one pizza. We don't have any more money. That's all we had enough for. We got the one pizza. You got a lot of friends. They walked into the pizza shop and you invited them to come sit down and partake into our pizza. And I actually got a little bit angry. <laughs> I got a little bit hangry because we didn't have any more pizza. But now we've got two more people eating all the pizza. Yep. And one of your friends actually brought his kid along too. And so now we're really sharing this pizza. I got my slice. My life is sustained, but I didn't gain weight today. Okay. And now I know pizza isn't the healthiest food and it's not the perfect correlation, but in a pond or in a lake, there's only so many pizzas being naturally produced. Every lake produces different amounts of pizza based upon the depth of the lake, uh, the water or the nutrients that come into the lake, um, or the, the, the fertility of the soil or organic matter that's already in the lake. Yep. And so there's only so much of that. Every lake is different, but every lake has a capacity. So if we have, let's talk about largemouth bass now. If we want to grow big ones, doesn't mean we want to have a thousand bass eating on the pizza. It would be a lot better if we had 500 bass yep. eating on that same pizza. So that makes sense to me. I just, I never thought of it like that before, but totally makes sense. And we can, and there's things you can do to manipulate that when you get into feeding, but we'll talk about that in another episode, but. Oh, and there's all kinds of food, natural forage, supplemental forage, changing your watershed, fertilizing. There's all kinds of ways to increase the productivity, but that doesn't necessarily mean increased size of fish because with increased productivity, now uh, we increase reproduction capabilities okay. as well so there's always a fine line of amount of food available and amount of fish in a lake and you want to find that sweet spot for your situation got it makes sense makes sense to me um okay let's say the people are listening they get that so how, how do you take fish out because this was also shocking and it's i'm sure it's shocking to anyone who you first lay out a goal to or a plan you have to take out a lot of fish and I like the term you just used, shocking, because, <laughs> you know, that that is a tool that we use to, uh, you know, see what the fish population is currently. Mm -hmm. So you've got a lake, we bring in a boat, we do electroshocking or electrofishing, we assess the population, and with that, we can determine, all right, your average bass is 13.5 inches, um, and your average 13.5 inch bass is weighing only, you know, let's just say 14 ounces. That right there tells me that those fish are hungry. Yep. Okay, so the, it's it's a relative weight. So a fish so long should weigh so much. A 14-inch bass here in Illinois should weigh 23 ounces. If your 14-inch bass, not individual fish, but averages across the board, yep. if they're only coming in at 18, 19, 20 ounces, that tells me we need to remove fish. Which is probably the case almost every time you you go to a lake? Uh, let's just say, yeah, uh, almost every time. 90% of the time, the number one problem in managing lakes is overpopulation. Yeah. But get this. The biggest fear a lake owner has is not having enough bass in their lake. So they don't understand that bass reproduce every year. And they want to just keep putting them back in, and next year they'll be bigger, and next year they'll be bigger, and next year they'll be bigger. Well, when does that next year actually happen that the fish are actually bigger? Right. No, I, it makes sense to me now. So let's say, you know, what's, what's an average? So let's say somebody has a 10-acre lake. Every time that I've had a, a 
plan in place. It ends up being like, what is it, 10 fish per surface acre or so. That's kind of like a ballpark that you need to take out. Like, is that a, if I'm just like, Throwing an average on it, is that close? If we're going to throw out a ballpark, that would be a bare minimum amount of harvesting to just keep up with uh, natural reproduction and natural aging of fish. It doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how great the lake is for fishing. There's always fish that are getting older every day and that are actually dying every day naturally. Um, So what 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 I'm getting at with that is fish don't just live forever. Okay, and we're going to touch on, you know, friends and family fishing, you know, we're going to touch on that a little bit later where, hey, all I want to do is come out and catch and release. Well, when you're catching and releasing a fish, you're educating that fish. It actually gets harder to catch, but not only harder to catch, it impedes that fish's ability to naturally feed for the rest of its life. Some fish are aggressive and dumb and they do not have a learning curve. And we're not going to correlate this to human beings at all. We're just going to stick with fish. Which is good. That's what you want, right? You want them to be. But there's some fish that actually learn from their experiences. And they learn that, hey, if I open my mouth or, hey, I got to think about that little fish is swimming in front of me. Is that going to cause me to be ripped out of the water and, you know, flopped on on a boat or on a dock where I can't breathe? Or is that going to fill the need that I'm hungry and it's going to give me the nutrition I need? And a fish has to react so fast that if it even has to pause and think about that, it's going to be missing out on meals that it never would have missed out on had it not been educated to a fishing lure. So the more you're catching and releasing your fish, you're actually slowing down their growth. Now, I'm the bad guy for saying that, and I have to be very cautious with how I say that to a landowner, but in a podcast speaking generally, (laughs) I'm going to let you guys know. The more you catch a fish, the more you're impacting its ability to grow bigger in the future. And we're sort of getting off on a tangent, but I I think this stuff is cool. So I want to take it one step further before we kind of rein it back in. Are there certain species that that is more true than others? Because I've heard, I think I've heard you say before, like, if you catch a catfish, keep it. Yeah, there are certain species that are more true than others. Like catfish, when they start out in their life, they are as dumb as a box of rocks. Catfish are like button bucks, all right, or yearlings. You can have those around your stand all the time. You can kind of try to shoo them away, you know, and, and you can't even get them to leave sometimes. Yeah. Catfish can be caught when they're first stocked in the lake. They can be caught uh, very easily. Hot dogs, tinfoil, worms, crankbaits, MEP spinners. You can catch a catfish that's young and dumb on anything. But the moment that catfish has been caught a couple times, it becomes the smartest fish in the lake, like a mature white-tailed deer can just sense your presence. May not even be able to smell you, but can still just sense your presence. And uh, and oftentimes you hear guys say, I just needed that big buck to take one more step. You know, it's like, how does that big buck know? (laughs) You know, like it's just very in tune, very aware. Well, catfish become that same aware. They, they understand your vibrations. They understand, they can pick up on what's going on around them very well. And they can actually stand on the end of a dock and eat fish food and know that that's safe and not eat anything else. You know, so you can see them feeding, but they know uh, how they've been caught and they know how to avoid that. So we want to avoid in most all plans that I give for private bodies of water, you put in a catfish, you catch a catfish, you eat the catfish. Right. And if catfish is the cheapest fish to buy, 
You can buy a 10-inch catfish for about a dollar. So if you catch 50 of them in the year, you you if you don't want to eat it, make yourself a little cage to put it in. Somebody will want to come and eat yeah. it. And then you just put in catfish again. You know, you don't you're not gonna catch them all in the same year, you know. So a lot of times I say, hey, just 50 or a hundred, you know, you're you're taking them out, you're putting new ones in, you're always gonna have young, aggressive fish for your kids, your grandkids, your guests to catch. If you just put them in, you catch them and release them, every year you're going to catch less and less and less catfish, even though they're all still there. Still there. So it's actually more relevant than I thought. I didn't see it going this way. but So I'd expect it to be like, well, you need to take that out to help the other fish grow. But really, like you need to take it out because even if it's there, your fishery is now harder. So you're using all these resources, the food, on a fish that is really hard to catch now. Correct. And so, and, and that's an easy one and it's a cheap one. It's yeah. not expensive. Now, when we, we don't really get into genetics with catfish because they don't typically reproduce naturally where they recruit, you know, more fish. So it's a put and take fishery to begin with in most private bodies of water. But when we get into largemouth bass, we can get very specific into reasons why to remove fish because now we bring genetics into the equation. So I'm going to set the stage for genetics by talking about your typical five acre lake. You build it, you go to a fish farm, you buy those fish, or you go to your, your local fish sale, you buy that bag of fish, you get those bass, and you stock them all into your lake. All right, so you put 100 in per acre, so you put 500 of them in, and you bought them all from the same place, from the same hatchery, basically from the same female, or you, so you've just stocked brothers and sisters and perhaps cousins all into your lake. So now you already started the inbreeding process to your lake. And since it's a private lake, it's a closed system. There's no other fresh blood coming into the lake. So what we do, if we want to grow big bass, we know that females grow bigger than males. So when we stock 100 to the acre, which most of the time that's an average, but some cases we do more, some cases we do less, mm -hmm. depending on the goal. Um, but if, if the average is 100 per acre, in those first two years – I'm going to want to take out 50% of those bass right off the get-go because in the first two years, I can tell, and, and anybody can tell, the males and the females, not by sexing them, but just by their size. So two years in, you've got 12 inchers and you've got eight inchers. Which ones would you want to take out of your lake two years in? Really? I didn't I see. I learned something new every time I'm talking to you. I wouldn't. So now you're taking out males only at that point. So, right. Because we want to stack the deck yeah. in our favor. We want fish that are going to grow bigger. Yeah. So I'm going to try to take out. So if I put in 500 fish two years in, they haven't reproduced on yet. On a new lake. This is on this, an old. We're, we're talking about new lake here. Yeah. We'll get in. This all applies to existing lakes, but it helps set the stage so that you can understand that harvesting there's so many different reasons and ways and, and, and opportunities to harvest yeah. that help make that special lake. Yeah. Um, and so to finish that thought, like we put in 500 bass, two years in, we still have those same 500. I want to take out 250 of the smaller size yep. and let go the 250 of the bigger size. So now I've stuck the deck in my, stuck the deck in my favor. But... We still haven't introduced any new blood into the gene pool. So mm -hmm. we're talking about removing fish, but the reason why we remove fish is so we can bring new blood into the gene pool because now we don't want to go buy fish from that same hatchery. So when we stock a new lake, 
we don't just take all the fish from one hatchery. We're, we're getting fish from several different areas and regions, mixing them together right off the bat. Yeah, I've never heard that either, but it makes sense. Uh, genetics, everybody's like, oh, fish is a fish. Genetics don't play. Well, in what species of animal or plant is genetics just genetics? I mean, when you're talking about deer, you're talking about cows, pigs, horses. I mean, certain strains of certain fish do certain things. Mm -hmm. You want to match that up with your goal. And so you don't just want to keep stocking fish without harvesting fish. And once you identify, so in a new pond, we've identified what fish to take out. Mm -hmm. Well, now in an existing pond, we need to identify what fish to take out. That's where the electrofishing survey comes into play or your own observations. If fish are skinny or under relative weight, we pull it out. So if, if, if a 14 inch bass is supposed to weigh 23 ounces and I'm catching bass that are 14 inches and they're 21 ounces, that fish is wasting space yeah. for me if my goal is to grow big fish. So I don't want it in there. I don't want to waste my space, my resources on something that is not going to get where I want it to go. Perfect. So we're actually kind of rolled back to the original question. So like, let's say you give me the number, like here at the Lanco Lake, I think this is 400 and or it's 44 acres. So I need to take out, let's call it 500 fish. Okay. Did you take your 500 fish out? You know how many I took out? Uh, yes. You, you probably personally didn't take out any. Zero. And nobody took out any. So we're talking zero. But let's say, but I knew that. So I knew that that, that wasn't going to happen, happen to me. So I introduced tiger muskie, muskie. But that's what I want to talk about. So let's say you tell someone to take out 500. What are their options? Well, first, I don't give anybody a recommendation unless they say that th that's something they want to do or they're capable of doing. Right. So there's always more than one ways to skin a cat. You got to toward the tiger muskie. That's another opportunity to remove certain fish. Now, it's not just a foolproof proof, yeah. walk away plan, but it does accomplish it does accomplish certain aspects of what we need accomplished. Mm -hmm. There's no better person to take care of what needs done than yourself. You'll find that out in any yeah. <laughs> any, anything. Anything. Yeah. I have found uh, that. <laughs> you know. So the more you can be hands on, the more you can really see what's going on, and you can take them out. But in here, so let's say here, five hundred fish. I knew. Let's say somebody has a ten acre lake and it's a hundred fish. Sometimes you hear that number and it's like that's not going to happen right and real. It's just not. So then what? They can always do it right and real. Like that's the, that's the easiest way. Yeah, take them out, but. Shocking. They can do yeah. you go out once a year and take out hundred fish in a day. You Shocking. could totally, you could totally. In certain cases, we can remove what needs to be removed just in one day. Yeah. Um, in other instances, that's not possible. Um, but it's it's not like you just have to pick one thing and then that's it. There's a combination of factors. So if you personally can't take the fish out, you can organize a little fishing derby or a fishing tournament amongst your friends with the purpose of removing fish. And we've done that. Let's talk about that too, because I think that's awesome because, and we've done it with you, I think a few times, like we go out there and everyone comes out. Sometimes we do it for like hooked on fishing where it kind of benefits something else. So it's kind of like a dual benefit, but all of a sudden you have 10, 12 boats out there and you take out, you know, 200 fish in a day and now you're halfway home or whatever. Right. So you do that once, twice, three times. Uh, it's a fun event. Yeah. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got people out there. You've got uh, usually out of a group of people, you'll have some people that would be really excited about, you know, eating those fish or having a fish fry right on that same day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, 
you know, you bring Chef Todd out and he can cook them up for you right there. You yeah. know, those types of things. The more creative you can get, now you're actually out there getting something accomplished, but now you're getting more people involved and having fun in the process. Love it's it. not a chore. Now it's an asset. It's yeah. it's a day you can look forward to. Okay. So let's say someone hears that number, none of those things are on their radar. Which out here, like at the Lanco farm, like I just didn't think any of those things would happen. Just busy, like I like I said, I've never well, I've fished this lake for about 15 minutes. I've owned it three years. So talk about predator fish. If you if like removing that many fish isn't gonna happen, which you have to be honest, like you have to be self-aware in every facet of life, but when someone well, says reason, that, you have to be self-aware. It's like, man, that's not going to happen. What are my other options? Well, the reason why you have a 500 number here is probably because that gets you closer to realistic. But really, realistically, you could probably remove about 1,500 to 2,000 bass a year and be far better for it. Yeah. But if you throw that big number out there, that just scares you off completely. Well, that ain't going to happen. Then you don't get anything done. But now, since we're talking about, hey – you know, we've got this number. If we can get out 500 by angling and we can stock some tiger muskies, um, you know, at a big enough size where they can start eating some bass. If, if all you have in the lake is just bass, tiger muskie is going to eat bass. And how I, big? Because how, they'll eat up to – they'll eat about the size that you want to remove, right? Up to 12 inches? Correct. Their, their bread and butter is right in that 8 to 12-inch mark. And a lot of times those are fish to harvest. Yeah. Um, and so they could be very good predators. Now – I don't want to scare everybody off and think, oh, tiger muskies only eat bass. Well, if you have a lake that has gizzard, shad, or carp, the tiger muskies are serving dual purpose. Yeah. They will eat some bass, but their preferred forage is going to be gizzard, shad, and even baby common carp. Which is great, right? Which is great because that that those species of fish definitely need to be removed um, because they're not an asset to us really in any way, shape, or form. They're, they're destroying the ecosystem. Um, you know, destroying the nest, destroying the eggs, destroying the vegetation, the microbial community, the, the plankton, you know, everything gets disrupted with those fish. So yeah. those are fish we want to remove. Which is hard. I have carp in this lake and can you ever remove every carp? Uh, you basically you're starting over from scratch. Yeah. You have to almost You can't just remove that. only all the carp and none of the other fish. Yeah. You drain it down as low as you can. You kill it off. You start it back. So... This is totally off topic, at least from what I had planned, but I'm always curious about this. So we've caught a couple otters in here, and every single person you talk to is like, man, you need to – those do so much harm to a lake. I'm like, well, why? They're like, well, they eat a bunch of fish. Like, well, how big? I don't know. They could probably get up to 12, 14 inches. And I'm like, well, that's what I want out. So are they are otters bad for lakes? Well, if you have a one-acre pond and it's stocked with bass, bluegill, and catfish, and you get a family of otters that move in – That makes sense. They can clean you out. Pretty quick, and I see that happen quite a bit. But if you have a 44 acre lake and you've got a lot of carp, gizzard shad, fish that are schooled up in numbers, which I do, though those otters actually are not a detriment to you at this point in time. They're actually doing what you need them to do. They're eating the fish that you need removed. That's what I thought. Whether it be a 10 inch bass or a you know um, carp or a shad, they're doing that for you. Doesn't mean, hey, Nate Herman is an advocate of river otters. Let's go yeah. stock them. But even bad things can be good things in certain situations, and good things can be bad things in certain situations. All, all specific to your situation. Correct. Okay. We can go back. I was just curious. Well, was and I've got a lake out at the Goose Ranch where we've got river otters, and we just let them be. 
they're they're part of the ecosystem. It's a big enough lake that is sustaining them just fine. We don't need to deal with it. And they're kind of cool. I think they're, they're cool. super cool. I think they're awesome. The one they caught or trapped out here, which is unfortunate, but it was a uh, sixty-five inches tail to the nose. I didn't know they got that big. So talking about cool things in lakes, um, I'll get off the subject. It's okay here we because can that's that. what I'm really good at. <laughs> um, so I stocked a bunch of golden trout in my lake one year. Thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, you could see them swimming around, and all of a sudden, we started seeing golden trout heads laying around the edge. And it's kind of getting mad, you know, because, you know, you're talking about a six, eight dollar fish and you're like, oh, man, you know, oh, getting all mad. Well, then one day I'm sitting out there and the osprey just comes down full bore, grabs the golden trout, goes up, sits on the telephone pole and eats it. And I was angry for about five seconds. And then and then just this that feeling you get, you know, that just comes across your body. And it was just like. You know, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. (laughs) And I would stock golden trout every year just to watch that happen. Um, And so, I mean, so bad thing turned into one of the greatest experiences ever. In fact, so one of the otter um, little forage ponds we did with you, my dad was mad because eagles kept eating all our whatever was in there. And my mom was like, I think it's awesome. Like, I got all these eagles around. Like, well, she got some of the coolest pictures ever. She did. Um, okay, well, let me try to get us back on on topic here. But that's but going back to lake goals, even that is a big yeah. key. There's so much more to a lake than just stocking those fish and trying to grow it to a five pound bass or a ten pound bass. There are ways to enjoy it that are so much greater than what you could even realize at this moment. I and I'm not a big trophy like bass or I'm not in general like I just I'm here for the enjoyment like. I, like I think if an otter swam by and my five-year-old saw it, like I would rather do that than catch a five-pound bass. I just would. So for me, some of those things are, I think they're awesome. I wish they wouldn't have trapped that otter. Right? It was still here. But I 100% get you. And I, and I actually think that, you know, the, the big conception in like even fishing or hunting is like, oh, everyone's after these big trophy deer, big 10-pounders. And for the most part, that's not really true, is it? Are most of your clients into like more of a balanced and enjoyment? Well, that, sort of focus. So that is a whole nother topic that we are definitely going to need to expound okay, on. Okay. But I'm going to give you a little tidbit. And and it's what you do naturally with your job is, and, and I do with mine, it, it's you help people enjoy their property to the fullest. Yeah. So, so our experiences have been across hundreds and thousands of properties across the Midwest. And we see people enjoying eagles and otters and, you know, mushrooms and, um, you know, catching big fish or, or catching other fish or going for walks around their lake or mm-hmm. just sitting and looking out their window. All kinds of different experiences that you wouldn't think about that now we have a collection of all those and we can help implement that right into your lake or in your case, right into your property to, to get your kids your grandkids, your wife, your wife's friends, the people that you care about, maybe you don't care about your wife's friends, but uh, to get the people that you care about to love your property, to love your lake, and to get the most out of it. Because ultimately, that's what you want to do. That is it. And and how many, I say this to people when they tell me what they're looking for, like, man, I've owned land and my parents own land forever. Very few of my like greatest memories are like, have anything to do with the big fish or the big, like you personally, 
how many are related to that and how many are just like different kind of cool moments. So in that next podcast that we just alluded to, yeah. it's going to be about the future generations because a lot of my clients, they miss the mark. Yeah. They, they try to set it up for themselves or, you know, for their goal. And then they wonder why their family is not enjoying the property. Love it. Okay. Well, let's, that's a good topic. I'm going to write that. Back to removing fish. Okay. But, uh, removing fish. Okay. So what if you don't? What if it doesn't, you know, and this happens, I'm sure, all the time. Like, oh, I know I was supposed to, but it just didn't happen this year for whatever reason. Then what? Like, what what happens then? Your whole target offline or? Um, you, so you have an existing lake. You don't want to remove fish or you want to and you just don't get it done. It doesn't happen. You just, you're, what you're doing is you're just prolonging the ability to have progress. Now, some people could say, hey, I've got a lake. I don't remove any fish and my fishing is great. Well, you may not have the recommendation to remove fish. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, or, or, you or you're happy with what you have. Yes. So you have if a you're different... happy with what you have, you don't need to change anything. But yeah. if you're not happy with what you have, you're going to have to look into all avenues to, to becoming happy. And in most cases, removing fish is number one thing you can do. So let's say year one, you removed fish. Year two, like how long does it Take how many times not removing fish are you back to square like square one? Does uh, that happen fast? Like if someone has it, a plan in year four, they forget. Are they like back to stage one? Well, what it does is you're impacting the future. So, um, like when I'm removing fish and when I'm stocking fish, I'm usually doing it for three years out. So in lake management, I like to be three to five years ahead. And you know, my dad will be like, "Why are you doing this?" Our, our fishing that we want is great right now. Why are you doing this? You know, why are you stocking more bluegill? Why are you stocking that bass? Why are you removing these fish? We have it right where we want it. Well, I always want to be proactive. I want to be ahead of the curve. Unfortunately, most people with a lake, they're three to five years behind where they want to be. And so they're, they're playing catch up. And then once you get there, then what do you do? You know, so yeah. you, you, a fish is, a bass is going to live about 10 years. Okay. Some are going to live eight. Some are going to live 12. So I'm going to live seven, uh, but let's just say 10 years. Yeah. Okay. So if you've already grown that fish to four pounds, you know, he's going to, he's going to have the, the body structure to be, you know, a, a three to five pound fish for the rest of his life. And if you're happy with that, that's great, but you have to think about the future generations. So you want to create an environment where you've always got the next man up. In this case, it's the next fish up. You always want it to be there. So I'm always trying to be three years ahead so that every year, like, Dad, I'm raising these fish in this hatchery pond to stock in our lake because that's what we're going to catch three to four years from now. Those are going to be our trophies. Love it. Okay. Makes sense. I I love it. So obviously bass are important to take out. Last question I think I have, and we'll try to wrap it up even though we're um, a little long already, but um, are there any species that are more important than others to take out? Um, the species that you want to grow big are the species you want to harvest. Got it. So I've heard like, I've heard crappies reproduce quickly or they can successfully. They can. They can. So are those important to take out? Well, if you want to grow. Let me, let me just, this is a perfect example of people not like maybe doing, doing something they think is helping, but hurting. I used to, or I still do have a lot of oak run. And I remember back in the day. One guy, what was the fish biologist? Ken, uh, uh, Kenny Russell. Ken Russell. He'd get up and say, um, 
our copy efficient is good, but it could be better. I think we need to take out 500. And he, people would probably, well, in, in your case, it's probably 5,000. So whatever it was, yeah. And then he'd, they'd all be nodding their heads. And then the next guy get up and say, I love copy fishing. I think we should stock 1,000. And they'd throw more fish in there. So, like, that's a perfect example. Well, so the stocking the 1,000 or stocking the new strains of crappie, it's not a bad thing as long as you're keeping up with your harvest. Okay, that if makes all sense. you're doing is just the stocking, you're, you may have different genetic strains, but they don't have the opportunity. Okay. So genetics is important, but harvesting is more important because you, you, have, to, you have to set the stage. If you, okay. Makes so sense. that's why I harvest fish so that I can stock new genetics. So you want to have different age structures. At, at you want point. different bloodlines, different age structures. You, you just want diversity. So if, you're, um, if your goal is any sort of like sporting fish, like a bass or even smallmouth or pike, it, do you ever, is it ever important to take out little bait fish or the more the merrier for those? Uh, typically, the more the merrier. Okay. And, and that brings us into bluegill. So if I want to grow the biggest bass possible, I don't want to take out the little bluegill. A lot of people, a lot of old timers, no matter what, when they go fishing and they catch a little bluegill, they just throw it out because yeah. that's what they were taught to do. Well, a bass, a five pound bass, so let's say a 22 inch bass, 21 inch bass, okay, what's it going to want to eat? It's going to want to eat a four to five inch bluegill. And if you're taking the bluegill out, now you're taking out that fish's meal. So if I want to grow a lot of five pound bass, I want to have a lot of five inch bluegill. Cool. Well, and we're going to talk about that in one of these, you know, not, I don't know if it's the next episode, but a, a, one of the near ones, um, ways to increase food, which is, we're talking about forage at this point, right? Like that's where it is. For, right? Hey, if a, in order for a fish to grow big, it's got to open its mouth and something's got to go down its throat. Cool. Well, let's, uh, we can wrap it up there. So, but if you guys want to listen to uh, us talk about forage and maybe even supplemental feeding, listen to the next episode or it'll be one of the, one of the next episodes coming up. But uh Nate, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll wrap it up, and thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.